Lord, we're so grateful for the kindness that you have shown to us, the grace that you have given to us in the child who was born at Christmas. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that today he is alive and he is reigning over the world, that he is King Jesus. And we're grateful for the hope that we find because of who he is and what he has accomplished, for the mercy that has called us to himself and made us alive in him. We're thankful. So as we turn our hearts to your word, as we turn our hearts to uh, the text before us this morning, I pray that we will see Jesus, the King, clearly. That we will worship this child who was born, this child who lived a perfect life, and died a sinner's death on the cross in our place and rose again on the third day and today reigns exalted over all, I pray that our hope would be in him alone. We need you in these moments, Lord, if any of this matters. Thank you for your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, praise team, and thank you, Savante and Amy, for leading us in that incredible song that really directs our hearts uh, to the one true and living God. Let me begin just with a quick statement about our uh, business meeting on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night. So grateful for those who came to the meeting, so grateful for the church and for your vote to extend the call to Zach Scoggin to serve as our missions and college pastor for the next several years. We're excited to have him uh, as we are saddened as Daniel is transitioning out by the end of the year. We're grateful that Zach and Allison will be part of us still and that Zach will be joining our church family. Please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1 this morning will be in verses 57 through 80. Now it's often said that the best songs come from deep within. Right, from true emotion. People who write songs say their best songs just kind of flowed really easily because they, they understood, they had this, this overflow in their hearts and they were able just to pen the words really easily. If you listen to, sh- to coaches on shows like American Idol or The Voice, they'll say things like, the audience needs to believe that you really feel this. They need to understand that you really embrace what you're saying or what you're singing. And, or they might say something like this, the reason that that performance was so great was because I got the sense that you just embraced the emotions in the moment. It seemed genuine as you sang the song. Interestingly, similar things are said about actors and actresses, right? The best actors and the best actresses seem to understand or they, they, would, they embody the person or the character that they're playing. So it just kind of flows really easily. Well, the past several weeks, we've been looking at the birth narratives here in the opening chapter of Luke's gospel. And last week, Tim preached from verses 39 through 56, which include the Magnificat, which is Mary's song of praise. And this morning, as we look to the birth of John the Baptist, and then we look to Zechariah's prophetic song, which is called the Benedictus, uh, it's taken, this, the name taken from the Latin translation of the first verse there in 68, blessed, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And both of these songs, we see a clear sense of exuberance because of the grace and the love of God. Both Mary and Zechariah are singing from the heart 
for they understand God's mercy to them. If you will, please stand. We're going to read beginning in verse 57 of chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the hope that's found in this song, in this passage. And I pray that as we turn our attention to your word, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would be strong in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Nine months previous to this, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah as he was performing his priestly duties there in the temple. And when Gabriel told Zechariah all that God was going to do and that his son John was all that his son John was going to be, Zechariah's response was disbelief. And because of Zechariah's disbelief, God disciplined him. He would be unable to speak until all that Gabriel said came to pass. God was disciplining Zechariah to build his faith. And the first thing we see this morning is that we are to respond in faith and obedience to God's discipline. Respond in faith and obedience to God's discipline. After Gabriel appeared to Mary, Mary went to visit her older relative, Elizabeth. And we know that Mary went there. It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. 
Uh, and verse 36 tells us that Mary stayed there for three months and then she returned to Nazareth. So unless Mary, unlike any other person in the world who would go to visit someone, would leave the day before the baby was born and went back home, unless Mary did that, then Mary would have been there to see the birth of John the Baptist, the one who was so much prophecy, who would be the forerunner of the baby that was going to be in Mary's own womb. And when the, Mary, when the baby John was born, just as Gabriel said, there was rejoicing. I'm sure that whole Judean town was just a buzz. The people rejoiced at God's mercy, at his loving kindness shown to Elizabeth, removing the stigma of her barrenness and blessing her with a son. And the neighbors and the relatives, they likely didn't even know the half of it. Think about that. They're so excited for her because God has removed the barrenness and given her a son, even in this old age. But they didn't probably realize the half of everything going on. They didn't understand the special role that this boy would play. I mean, how could they? Zechariah hadn't spoken a word in nine months. In fact, many people believe that Zechariah could not speak or hear. And that's why we see there in verse 62 that they had to actually sign to him to try to get him to name the baby. So there was a dual thing here going on. He couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. The, the word could be translated as both. And if Zechariah was like so many husbands today, unfortunately, men... Who knows how much Zechariah even could communicate or would communicate to his wife about his interaction with the angel Gabriel, right? Let alone the fact that he couldn't speak. Now, previously we learned that Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful Jews who feared the Lord. So it's no surprise then that on the eighth day, according to the law, they took their son to be circumcised or they were going to be circ circumcising that child. And for whatever reason, this was the day that they were going to name the boy. Now, in Jewish history... A lot of times names were given right away, but for some reason on the eighth day at this point, they are now naming the child publicly. And let me just say, everyone was shocked when Elizabeth said they're going to call him John. In fact, so shocked were they that everyone seemed to be offended. Oh, you can't do that. You can't name him John. I mean, you don't have anyone in your family with that name. Call, call him Zeke or something, but, but that's not a family name. Call him something different. In fact, they even go to Zechariah to find out what he wants to call the child in that moment. I mean, this was an incredible scene. Zach and Allison Scoggin are, are pregnant, have a baby here in maybe a month or so, and we're excited for them. But, you know, not once have I ever thought that I need to go to them and tell them, you need to name your baby baby's name something different than what they have already made public, right? They're going to call their son Beniah. I have never gone to him and say, no, you should go with a different name. And my guess is that their parents haven't either and said, no, we don't like that name. Go with a different name. Even if Nathaniel means gift of God, I have never said that to Zach or Allison ever, would never try to influence that decision at this point. But here, that's what they were doing. It just seems odd. Well, Zechariah, after the people appealed to him, asked for the writing tablet, and they write his name, right, he writes the name John down, which means God is gracious and merciful, and that seems to settle it. But it actually does a lot more than just settle it. It means that the time of discipline is over, because as soon as he does that, then God looses Zechariah's tongue, and he was able to speak again. And his first response is to bless the Lord, to bless God. Nine months of discipline. 
And during those nine months, Zechariah learned to believe God. God was doing a work in Zechariah that Zechariah would not forget. Now, friends, don't miss this. It wasn't until Zechariah actually named the child, said John is his name, that God allowed him to regain his voice. It wasn't at the birth of the boy. Think about that. It wasn't just when John was born because simply the birth of the son didn't mean that Zechariah had learned anything. No, it was when he followed in obedience that showed that he believed God and now the time of discipline was over. Friends, God's discipline in our lives is meant to focus our attention on him and on his word. His desire is that we trust him His desire is that we follow him. I want to read from you in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 begins with this uh, call to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has gone before us. He is the one who suffered in our place. He is the one who, who endured hostility from sinners, even to the cross, but yet now is reigning above. And listen to what he says. So the context of this passage is Jesus and now discipline, even God's discipline of Jesus. Verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, and you are illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to us, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we read something like that, and with Zechariah, we can understand. I mean, it was very clear. The angel told Zechariah, because you didn't believe this is what's going to happen. And God's discipline is very clear in that situation. But the question for us might be this. Well, how can we know? How do we know if God is disciplining us? How do we know if that's actually what's taking place right now? That's a good question, but let me just say it's incredibly difficult to answer. It's a good question, but it's, def- it's definitely difficult to answer. Theologian and author John Piper suggests that when we face difficulties and opposition in our life, we should not rule out God's discipline. Why? Because God disciplines those he loves in order to train us so that we would share in his holiness. He's doing something. So why wouldn't we want to see all opposition and difficulty as opportunity to grow in faith and to grow in obedience? Now hear me say this. I'm not saying that all difficulty and opposition is a result of personal sin in your life. It's not. It's clearly not. In fact, when we look to Hebrews chapter 12, we see that Jesus, in the context here, there is discipline. Jesus endured hostility from sinners, not because he was a sinner, not because he ever sinned, not because he brought it on himself, but because God was perfecting him through this. God was at work in this. 
It may be that some trials in our life are due to the sin of others. It may be that some trials in our life are due just to the fact that we live in a sinful world. But friends, hear me say this. God is working in that. He is training us and we have opportunity to respond in a way that pleases him. We have opportunity to respond in, a, in, in humility and to be trained, uh, trained and that God would yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. I'm not trying to minimize the pain or the difficulty that we experience in life. Disease and death and divorce, and depression and uncertainty and anxiety, these things are painful. But in and through them, friends, God is teaching us and God is with us and we are not alone. We may not know for sure why we're experiencing what we're experiencing, right? We don't hear a voice that says, well, this is going to happen because of this and this is the intent. We, we don't have that. But we do have the word of God that said God loves us and he cares for us and he's purposeful in what he allows or brings into our Life. So why then would we not adopt the posture that God is seeking to shape us in everything that we face so that then we would have opportunity to respond in faith and obedience to whatever it is that we face? Well, after Zechariah begins to speak, the people were amazed. We see that in verses 65 and 66. The people were amazed. I mean, they just marveled. They wondered. They even asked themselves, what? What, what's going to be of this child? What do we make of all of this? They were curious, right? Theologian Joel Green notes the entire scene is bathed in the miraculous. That's what's taking place here. There's awe and there's wonder. How can this be? The second thing we learn from this passage is that we should respond in praise and worship to God's faithfulness. We should respond in praise and worship to God's faithfulness. As presented by Luke in the response to the question about what, what are we going to make of this child or what then will this child be, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and then breaks out in a prophetic song. And we're going to see that Zechariah's song here actually focuses more on Jesus than it does on his own son, John. Right, so Zechariah, the, the most, most of this prophetic song that he sings here is going to focus on the Messiah. And this is what we've seen, right? Luke is really pointing us to the greater one here. Yes, there's miraculous things taking place. But really, Luke is focusing our attention on Jesus, on the true king, on the long-expected Messiah. So in verse 68, the response of praise and worship to God is because of his visitation in our life that brings redemption. Zechariah has learned faith over these nine months and he's in a better position then to appreciate God's graciousness. He expects with, that with the birth of Jesus, God is visiting his people to bring redemption. And what's clear here is the dual fulfillment, right? What's gonna take place is there is a, a redemption politically, yes, and ultimately a spiritual redemption. So we understand here that this redemption works on a few different levels, right? Yes, Israel is under the oppression of Rome at this time, but there is coming one who will be the Messiah who will sit on the throne of David forever. There's a hint even of the Exodus redemption here where God redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. See, John is rejoicing. Excuse me, Zechariah is rejoicing because he 
understands that his son John will prepare the way for the one who will rule forever. That's why he connects the horn of salvation to the house of David. This is a reference to the kingdom, to the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, where God promises that one of David's descendants would sit on the throne of a kingdom forever. The horn of salvation is a symbol of power. The horn being a dangerous weapon to destroy the enemies. God providing and lifting up the horn of salvation destroyed the enemies of his people. And then in verse 7, we have this reference to the Abrahamic covenant, that God would deliver his people from their enemies. See, Zechariah is praising and worshiping God because God is faithful to his promises. But the truth is, Zechariah doesn't even fully understand how far and how profound that faithfulness will reach. Because the salvation that is to come is so much more than just temporal and momentary. It's eternal. It's forever. Does Jesus the Messiah destroy the enemies? Yes. Does Jesus rule from the throne of his father David? Yes. Does Jesus fulfill the oath made to Abraham referred to in verse 73? Yes. Does the deliverance that Jesus brings allow God's people to serve him in holiness and in righteousness? Yes, and in a far more profound way than Zechariah or anyone else then even imagined or understood. Does the Messiah give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death? Yes. Does the Messiah lead his people in the way of peace? Yes. But ultimately, that all comes through the sinless life of Jesus, who died on a cross to bring redemption, to free us from sin, and to make us right with God as he rose from the dead, and this through faith in Christ. See, the redemption and deliverance that Jesus brings is comprehensive. Yes, one day it is political in the sense that Jesus will rule all things, that he sits on the throne, that he is the king, and is not realized yet, but mostly it is spiritual. Again, not fully realized yet. We're redeemed from the curse of the law, delivered from the chains of sin and death, and have the hope of eternal life forever with him. Now, it's interesting that when the phrase, the horn of salvation is used in scripture, it's always used of God in a sense of deliverance or the sense of him being the savior or the sense of him being a strong refuge. Ultimately, friends, the horn of salvation is lifted up when Jesus dies on the cross, when he pays the sin debt that we owed because of our rebellion. When God pours out his wrath on him and not on us. Jesus defeats the enemies of God and God's people. And one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is king. That he is Lord. And all things will be brought under submission fully under God, before God. Third, respond in grateful repentance to God's loving kindness. Respond in grateful repentance to God's loving kindness. In verses 76 and 77, Zechariah now sings of his own son. So he spent a lot of time singing of Jesus, the Savior, and now he's going to sing of his own son. And he calls John the prophet of the Most High, right? This is a spirit-inspired title for his 
for Jesus, but speaking of his son, he will be the prophet of this one, and he will point, and this is all pointing now to the true identity of Jesus Christ. As Gabriel told him nine months before, John would go before Jesus, preparing the way. He would be the forerunner of the king. And we learn that this was a calling of God's people to repentance, a, a calling that was meant to soften their heart, to see the faithfulness of God, to return to covenant faithfulness, to prepare the way of the one who would come, of the Messiah. John's ministry would remind people and call them back to the Lord. This is what Luke 3 records for us. John baptizing people with a baptism of repentance that the people's hearts would soften towards the word of God. And he wasn't just saying, hey, stop doing this, stop doing that. No, he was saying, stop doing that, start doing this, but mostly look to the one who's to come. Look to Jesus. Look to the one who comes after me who, who will baptize you with, with fire and with the Spirit. Look to the Messiah because he's amongst us. He's pointing them to Jesus. Why? Because the knowledge of salvation, verse 77, the forgiveness of sins is found only in Jesus. And through faith and repentance, even as Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name should be proclaimed to all the nations. This is what Peter preached. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, 38. This is what Paul said in his farewell speech to the elders of Ephesus at Miletus. And he said in Acts 20, 21, that he was testifying to all concerning repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was the reason, friends? What was the reason that God set all this in motion? Why Jesus? And the reason is love. The reason is love. Salvation and forgiveness of sins in Christ because of God's tender mercy. Verse 78. His love. Friends, God doesn't have to save anyone. God is not needy. God is not lonely. He doesn't owe us anything. And yes, he is faithful to himself and to his promises, but it was love that compelled him to make the promise in the first place. It was love that compelled him to redeem a people for himself. And the proper response to God's love, grateful repentance, humility, a turning to Jesus Christ in faith. This is the proper response to God's love. And the goal of this redemption that God gives is a people who would serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness. That's what we learn in this song, right? A people who would live before him for his glory all of their days, however they may be. Verse 74 and 75. In and through Jesus, this is what God makes us, a redeemed people who, as the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter nine, who through the blood of Jesus have been purified in order to serve the living God. Church, let's be that people. People who love him. People that respond to him with all that we are because he is worthy. People who are desiring to serve King Jesus whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus. 
Let's be people who are turning from our vain pursuits and living in righteousness. Let's be people who see in ourselves that same calling that John had to point people to Jesus. That same calling that Peter and Paul had to proclaim Christ, to speak and live the gospel, to point people to the light of the world. Let's be people who give generously to support the gospel going forth. Right, the gospel is our only hope. The message of the gospel is the only message of life. And many of you came prepared to give today to say we want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. We want the gospel to go to all peoples. We want the gospel to go to those who are stuck in their sin, dead in their sin, and who need to hear the message that can make them alive, spiritually alive. Many of you came prepared for that. Thank you. You know our goal this year is $200,000, and we'll be collecting this offering through the month of January. Some of you gave today, but you weren't prepared to give. That's the truth. So my prayer is that you will seek the Lord in the coming days and weeks that you're gonna seek the Lord and you're gonna ask him, God, what is it you want me to give? What is it you want me to do for the sake of the gospel? We don't have another March for Missions, but you can give any way you want. Just if you give towards this, this offering, make sure it's specified. This is for the March for Missions offering. And today, if you don't know the love of God, the grace of God in Christ Jesus, if you don't know the hope of salvation, the promise of forgiveness of sins that is found in him, then please don't leave here today. Don't leave here today until you know the peace that only he can give. During our time of invitation, after I pray here in just a few moments, we'd love for you to come and to connect with us if you have questions about this. If you'd like someone to pray with you or for you or share, you wanna share what with the church what God is doing in your life then friends we would love to be able to talk with you about that as well we'll have staff members up here if you want to pray we'd love to connect with you even in that way will you pray with me father thank you for your kindness to us for your grace and your mercy thank you for the way that you're at work those things that we understand and those things that we don't understand those things that we see and those things that we don't see we know that you're always working you're working and doing all things for the good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Give us faith to believe that, to trust that. Help us to seek you with all of our lives and in all of our days. Thank you for making it possible that we could serve you. That we could serve you without fear because of the work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and respond as God leads?